0: Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to
1: family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Good morning, Paul. How's it going today?
0: Uh, Doing fantastic. Uh, It's been a while since we chatted. Um, Summer's kind of gone at this point. Um, Had an interesting conversation. I don't know if we... Talked about this, Paul. Um, I took my son out to dinner while my wife was away, and I tried to cut a deal with him. Um, he's got all these friends that have all these kind of really nice cars, and he just started driving. And I know I talked about that on some previous episodes. Um, and he's got my wife's old old Subaru, and I, I made him a deal where if he wanted to sell the Subaru, uh, we could sell it at the end of the summer, and and if he wanted to take some of the money he made at his summer job and put it towards getting another car I would match it dollar for dollar and he kind of sat at the table across from me and he said "Mm, no I'll keep the Subaru (laughs) so I thought that was kind of cool
1: when it's their own money their logic changes quite quickly
0: yeah yeah so it was very interesting so that was kind of my teachable moment I I was pretty very proud of that Um, I actually
1: thought you I actually thought I'm sorry Paul I have to get this out there I actually thought when you said you took him out to dinner and uh, you made a deal with him I thought you're gonna tell him he has to pay for his half of his meal (laughs) Ah ha, 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 Not yet. That's what, I, that's what I thought you were going to do. Yeah, not yet. Not yet.
0: So <laughs> letting him keep all his money at this point. He's enjoying working. So that's pretty cool. Um, I guess we'll just kind of jump in. Today's podcast is Kids' Careers, Lessons Learned with guest Kurt Bascom. Kurt is a New York City school teacher who has been teaching for over 27 years. Uh, we will talk uh, through his experience at his most recent project connecting uh, some of his former students and how uh, they're doing in the real world. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. Uh, The first news story, and I think Paul, you had sent these along, was from Barron's. Uh, the originator of the 4% rule thinks it's off the mark. He says it's now could be up to 4.5%. Paul, I don't know if you want to talk about this rule a little bit, and then I'll kind of give my commentary. What was your take on this story?
1: I, I thought it was a really neat way to think about the ins and the outs of your retirement. And you know when you're withdrawing the money from it, okay, you have to take a certain amount, and some of those are mandated. But what is the rule like how long should this money last and so this gentleman wrote this paper many many years ago and he's it's been time tested and really held true as a four percent rule although he did himself modify it recently he feels like the numbers more like 4.2 percent and the great part of the article is he looks at it as a balloon with two holes so if you're taking out a lot more you have to be careful because then it's gonna deflate. So you have to take out the right amount with the inflows, including interest and you know, inflation, taking those into account so the balloon doesn't collapse. I thought that's sort of a really neat analogy of, of how to look at it. So you have all this money in your balloon, and you don't wanna take out too much because then it'll collapse. And so you wanna watch the increases and how much you're taking out. That that's sort of the simplest way to look at it. Um, really neat article I, I liked it and one of the things he did mention recently his ratio he always says you kind of want to be between 40% and I think 75% equities this is his his opinion he said lately he's actually down at 25% equities he just feels like uh, there's a lot of speculation in the market right now he's in his retirement age he's in his 70s I believe 76 so, and, and again, as you're in that range, you probably are adjusting to a lower equity ratio. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm rambling here, Paul.
0: No, no, no. This is all good stuff. And I think the 4% rule kind of applies to if you had $100,000 when you go to retire, um, the idea would be that you can only take out 4% per year and and that will extend the life of your retirement fund so if you have a hundred thousand dollars the first year you take out four thousand next year four thousand and it should help you spread it out over the course and you'll make up some more money along the way um, when i looked at this article for me uh, i thought four percent and i've always thought four percent was was really light um, and that's a personal choice um, for me it's been six six and a half percent that's how i've looked at it that's how i've planned around it um, because I just think because of the market returns and 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 you know this twenty five you know if you go to twenty five percent equities which you should do in retirement probably or less um, you know fixed incomes gonna net you two percent maybe right it, it's it's really crazy right now so I think the rules for the past several years have been uh, subject to question and that's why I think he talks about this but in my personal opinion I think four and a, you know bumping it from four to four and a half is probably still too late. I, I still like my calculations of route six, six and a half. That's how I've planned my retirement. So, All
1: right. So you're buying dinner. Got it.
0: <laughs> cool. Um, I guess the next story is the loophole. Uh, let's see. This was also from Barron's. A loophole makes the 529 plans good wealth transfer tools. Here's how to use them. Um, once again, I read through this, poll. I after reading it, it was interesting, right? The, the idea of a kind of an educational endowment or kind of using the fund strategically. The thing that stuck out in my head was um, it, it was a great idea for the educational endowment. The other loophole items that are in there, I, I think eventually will ruin it for everybody, right? Like that's what I feel. Like if enough of financial advisors take advantage of these loopholes – They'll close the loopholes and people that just want to use the money for what it was intended for will be more restricted, right? And and I think that's where I find myself when I read an article like this. I think there's plenty of other investment vehicles outside of the five twenty nine plan, you know, standard mutual funds or retirement funds that will where you could get your returns out of. Um, So I I don't know what your take was on this story. Once again, my personal feeling was I love the educational endowment theory from a a family perspective, kind of keeping that from generation to generation. That was pretty neat. Uh, But the other kind of twists and turns with the loophole, mm, I I think eventually those loopholes will close and it's going to be a thing where one bad apple spoils the bunch and there'll be features that families rely upon that will be closed because people were exploiting the loophole. What was your take on this
1: story? So I agree. I mean, the the intent of this is to help people in their education, right? So, but people find interesting ways to leverage these new plans, um, take advantage of them. So like a lot of the other loopholes over the years they've been closed so this one might close as well and the loophole we're talking about folks is even if you don't use it for education you can withdraw the money but there's a 10 percent penalty on it and if you look at that versus other will transfer tools this is a lot lower penalty rate than some of the others so again we'll, we'll post the article on the site uh, that you can link to it it's it's interesting and, and I guess part of me is just interested from a cerebral point of view of how people find these things and see these things and uh, and like you know these are things that we weren't exposed to growing up as kids and understanding or even young adulthood, quite frankly Paul, that all these different financial tools are out there and that's the genesis of this podcast is to share the knowledge we've learned with anyone and podcasting lets us do it to the world um I think it makes us all better at least educated at the very least you're educated and you understand different things different options but yes yeah, something like this could easily be closed up probably and that whole problem uh, it creates a separate problem for people that put a lot into it because you can put a lot into a 529 so that's uh that's my take on it I guess the other thing is on that the Barron's articles I, I guess you can see lately I Become a bit of a fan of their articles. I, I just like how they're worded and um, easily digestible. So I, I become a big fan of their stuff.
0: Very cool. If anyone from Barron's is listening, we're, we're welcome to sponsorship. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly right? right. It's funny. One we love your friends, articles.
1: Right, I do. One of my friends was a did very well in the market. You know, he's professionally, and I used to go to him for a little bit of advice here and there. And he wouldn't give me much because, like, I really can't from a legal point of view. He's he's held to some of these things, whatever. He said, listen, if you really want to learn what to do, just get Barron's every Saturday morning and read it cover to cover. You will learn so much. And I put that off for many years. And let me tell you, it, it really has changed. It, it really is educational. So I'll stop on on that. But yes, sure, sponsor us.
0: <laughs> very cool, very cool. So with that, we'll, we'll jump into the podcast. We'd like to welcome uh kurt bascom to the podcast uh kurt as we said is a new york state new york city school teacher who's been teaching for over 27 years and kurt and i know each other when we were both commuters uh at fordham university so uh kurt welcome to the show
1: good morning how are you guys
0: good 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 and i was teasing paul uh the other paul uh last week uh or during the week i was saying you know we're gonna have kurt on and i said you know if if, if I never met Kurt, I probably wouldn't know you. So I want to kind of explain that connection a little bit, Kurt. I didn't yeah, explain it to do. Paul. I've
1: been, waiting for, I've been waiting for a week plus on this connection.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's very interesting. So when I was a commuter, Kurt was a commuter, and we were both like miserably commuting. And we got to see all these people on campus. And what happened was uh, Kurt became friends with with Ken. And <laughs> Ken got Kurt pulled into Alpha Phi Delta the fraternity on Fordham, which at Fordham, which wasn't a big fraternity at Rose Hill, but nationally it's a pretty big fraternity, but we had a very small presence at Rose Hill. And then Kurt invited me to join the fraternity. And that's how I met Ken. And that's how I met you, Paul through Ken and and Holly. And it's a small, small world, but without Kurt, Paul, I don't know if we'd be doing this podcast together.
1: Wow. Wow. Isn't that crazy, Kurt? That's impressive. Yeah. It's pretty
0: crazy the way the world works. And, um, so, and then I
2: introduced Paul to Kevin Bacon, and that's how we, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm um, but yeah, Kurt, it's, been, it's great. I've been listening to your podcast, and I know we'll get into that um, later on, but I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. I was listening to your latest episode at the gym this morning with Envy Lopez. Uh, very you. interesting. Loved the Darth Vader mask story. And the other <laughs> thing that was interesting that she mentioned, and I actually jotted it down and looked it up, was this master resiliency training, the MRT. That she talked about. Um, I downloaded that PDF. I'm going to take a look at it. Um, I think it's even outside the military. It's something that people could embrace and take advantage yeah. of, right? Uh, the yeah. information's all there, so it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I, I was really impressed with Envy, not just you know as a former student, but seeing what she's doing with herself now. And that that program in particular, I I also looked it up, and it was just the idea of you know being able to center yourself and, and find certain fundamental traits that you need to have. and and, and need to reinforce, especially during stressful times. So I I really like that part as well. It was actually, it it came up at the end of the interview after we were kind of done, and then we started talking about it, and then I just kind of edited it into towards the middle a little bit so that we definitely got a little bit of time to talk about it.
0: Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, Yeah, and that's what I love about the podcasts, and I don't know about you guys, but I was watching an interview with Steve Martin, and, and he was saying he loved the podcast because typically podcast, listening to podcasts is something you you do while you're doing something else, mm-hmm. right? Uh, as opposed to some people don't. You just sit there and listen to a podcast. Typically, if you're listening to a podcast, you're exercising, you're in the car, you're doing something else while you're listening, which makes it really cool. I, I listen to them before I go to bed, typically. I listen to them at the gym. Those are probably where I listen to podcasts the most um i don't know about you guys um i know we're diverting a little bit what, what's your podcast listening uh preference when you I'll, I'll start with paul and maybe kurt you could jump in sure
1: wow for me um my time is very limited so i i try and do them earlier in the morning or you know i when i used to drive a lot to work i, I used to listen to them but haven't been doing that in a while so i haven't my my podcast listening has been cut back a lot due to um, other things I'm doing, you know, with, between work, family, and, uh, you know, side hustle type stuff for my uh, fire department things. So I don't have a lot of time, but I generally try and do them in the morning when I just have a little bit of free time or walking a dog or something. Very cool. How about you, Kurt?
2: Well, um, I drive a lot. <laughs> so uh, uh-huh. I, I live up here in, in Dutchess County, and it takes me about an hour and five, ten minutes to get to work when I go. And uh, so I'm listening usually then I listen to a couple of sports podcasts, a couple of news podcasts, a a couple of more like uh, personal entertainment podcasts. So it's a lot of it's in the car. And, you know, my kids are getting a little bit bigger. So when I get to do things where they're not on my my hip, you know, whether it's working on the lawn or, or riding my bike or going to the gym. Yeah, then I'm also listening as well. That's that's usually when I do my listening. Very cool, very cool. And Kurt, let, 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 I want
0: to hear a little bit about your background? I know we talked about kind of this seven degrees of separation before, but uh, great background. I know I was sad when you left. Uh, Fordham and, and went to SUNY Stony Brook but take us through a little bit of your journey and and when we talked about setting up this podcast it was great because we were able to kind of tie your education stuff with the pot with your podcast to kind of the financial piece right the financial mm-hmm. connections yeah. so I think it's going to be a great podcast today um, yeah. so tell us a little bit about your background and then we'll kind of jump into some of the topics.
2: Well you know I was born I Well, I came to the Bronx when I was very young. I was born in Flushing, but we moved to the Bronx when I was a baby. And I lived there until I was eight. And then we, um, you know, it was a rough area where we lived in the South Bronx. And then uh, we moved upstate to Rockland County. And um, my family really, you know, they they were kind of rough and tumble people, so to speak. My mom immigrated here from Peru when she was 21. And, um, you know, my dad was a U.S. Marine. He fought in the Vietnam War. And, you know he didn't have you know he finished high school but that was about it so when you know i did pretty well in school when i was younger and um so i was the first one in my family to go to college and this is how i wound up in fordham I, I grew up not very far from there about a mile south of there and um i didn't know anything about college at all like literally when we went to one of the uh orientations i i got lost you know with my dad and he had no idea to him it was another planet and um uh, You know, I went there for a couple of years, like we said, and I commuted and I didn't really enjoy it very much. So I um, mainly because I wanted to live on campus and also I was a metalhead, really long hair. And uh, I'm a Latino guy in a school that maybe it wasn't most conducive to to metalhead Latino guys. You know, so I uh, I I (laughs) transferred out to Stony Brook and um, I loved it there. And eventually, you know, when I graduated, I um, I got I was a history major. You know, and not I, you know, I always thought I could be a teacher, but I don't know. You know, I was young. And again, nobody in my family really had any college experience. So it was sort of like, what are you going to do with a history major? It's like, oh, I'm going to be a teacher. But why didn't you take education? I don't know, but I'm glad I didn't. You know, and then I wound up teaching uh, for the DOE starting in 94. And uh, I've been teaching ever since, you know, and uh, I had been coaching football when I went to Fordham and even, you know, during high school when I got hurt and stopped playing, so the football coaching experience really got me in the door to teach because they're like, wait a minute, you worked with large numbers of young kids. Yeah, how many? It's like thirty to forty. They're like you're hired, <laughs> you know. So uh, uh, that really helped, and I still coach to this day, you know. And um, one helps me with the other, you know. And then when eventually I, I met my wife, who also went to Fordham, although we didn't know each other during that time in our lives, um. You know, being a teacher helped me be a good dad. Being a dad helped me be a good coach. Being a coach helped me be a good teacher and so on. So they, they all, it was a sort of a, a great synergy that happened there.
0: Yeah. I listened to your podcast. And once again, they always, I think it's overused, but it's, you know, teaching is a very noble profession. But I, I could hear the passion when you do the podcast, right? Thank I'm going to say that again. I, it really <laughs> comes through um, in terms of um, you're clearly not there for, you know, you're, re- you're really there for the kids. Right. And I think I that's it. amazing. So and I forgot one of the last things. So. So, Paul, he also knows Rob McKiernan.
1: Yeah, I, would, I was going to ask about that if you knew Rob. Um, yeah. You know. me and
2: Rob went to high school together.
1: Yeah. And, uh, we, were, we were good <laughs> friends. And actually, it's
2: uh, yeah, I I introduced uh, uh, Rob to Ken to Rob. And, you know, it, again, it's like. I lost all my friends when I transferred, but all of you guys stayed friends. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, it really is back. crazy
0: how it all worked. I remember when I met Paul. It, it just – it really is crazy how all these things work. So, um, yeah, I guess going into some of the teachable moments, maybe talk about some of the goals and, and the way you teach and some of your style because I definitely want to tie it to the financials. But I think the backstory is fascinating. Um and I think we'll really see it kind of tie through as we start talking about the financial connections and going through some of those pieces.
2: I um, again, growing up, I didn't really have much of a sense of, of um, the traditional way of doing things, you know. So when I started teaching, I didn't have that that structure, you know. And it was sort of I, I want to teach in a way that makes things interesting because a lot of what I learned, a lot of my school experience, like so many others, it was boring. So my job was to not to make sure this isn't boring. If if I'm not boring, then I'm doing something right. And so it's really about engaging the student, not just like read these pages in the textbook and then answer these questions at the end of the unit. Um, I barely use textbooks. We have them, I'll distribute them, but we never really look at them. They're kind of paperweights, you know? And then it's just really about, you know, engaging the students with a variety of different literature and video and music and and acting lessons out and, and storytelling and uh, the last 10 years or so as well, a lot of technology as well. And, you know, I realized at some point that not only is history a set of interesting stories, but there's practical life lessons embedded in it. And to connect it to, to your podcast, it really, the financial element is something that's lost on these kids. And and in part, you know, it's been lost on most people. And I feel like a lot of adults spend their lives just kind of like nodding and faking their way through knowing basic financial and economic ideas you know and i realized like wait i remember being a little kid and saying well wait if the government's you know doesn't have money why don't they just print more money you Mm. know and 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 i remember teaching and and i remember getting that question from a kid and then I was like wait a minute so what i'm gonna do and i guess this is illegal (laughs) but i went to a copy machine and made copies of money and made copies of like a derek jeter photo and made copies of like a a a popular movie cover you know back when we actually looked at dvds and uh Mm -hmm. And then I was like, all right, well, here's actual money. And, I, and here's the same thing. You know, I'd use a color printer, like here's five dollars and here's five dollars in quotes, fake dollars that I printed. Isn't it the same thing? You know, and the kids were like, well, no, it's like, well, why not? It looks the same. It's the same size. It's the you know, and that was one of the many ways that like my teaching, my other orthodox way of teaching sort of ran true to these kids. Like, wait a minute, there's, a, you know, looking at historically at the economic matters of our country, it's like, wait a minute, this was one really simple way. And I remember I had a, a principal sitting in on my class, for like an hour, usually you get observed for like 15 minutes. And when I did that lesson where we talked about money and, and, and uh, you know, the gold standard versus the silver standard and, and things like that in the, the late 1800s, she was amazed because I could tell she didn't know that that doesn't speak well for that principal, but it, uh, it, it, it's one of the things that I try to do. I'm going to try to find ways to kind of reach out to my kids, even if it's something a little weird and hopefully not illegal, you know. But, uh. Right.
0: <laughs> no, that's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, and you, I know that um, Paul and I have talked about this on the show, and I know we're jumping around a little bit, but um, and we definitely want to talk about some of the assignments and some of the real-world examples you use with your class. One of the things that we've talked about is kind of basic financial curriculum. And 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 you're touching upon the history and stuff. One of the things we we would talk about and is really like how do how do you how do you teach students how to handle a debit card? I used to say how do you balance the checkbook, but maybe those years Mm -hmm. are long gone. I don't know. I still have a checkbook, but um, like how do you teach kids about basic savings and saving habits and investing and stuff like that? And what was your and and coming from I mean you're the expert on this, Kurt, like from your Mm -hmm. vantage point, um, do you see some of this in some of the, in, in schools now, or do you think there's not enough of it? and, and just at the fifty thousand foot level, just teaching kids how to handle money and how to get a job or how to open a bank account or or what a w four and a w two is and mm. stuff like that. What's your thought when it comes to that?
2: There is very, very little being taught on that. you know, and it's a major problem, you know uh, I, I know that as I've continued to teach, one of the things I've tried to get better at, is incorporating that that real world how do I use my money idea to these to my students and you know using the history as an example you know we get to the the Roaring Twenties let's say and people could buy items on layaway this was like the grandfather of credit you know and people started spending an inordinate amount of money on items that were new, you know, whether it was a toaster or a radio for their house. And, and they'd buy it on layaway, buy now, pay later. They'd buy a model T for $250, but they'd put only $10 down, buy now, pay later. And then we'd work out the interest payments, you know, and, but we would, that's not part of the curriculum. Again, if you look at the textbook, it mentions these things, but it doesn't really go into them. And, you know, part of my way of teaching is like, well, that's why we're not using the textbook. You know, it's sort of, we have to kind of apply. Yeah. Well, if you buy an item, are you buying it with money that you can afford to spend? You know, and it seems so basic, especially to two men like you that actually spend their days talking about finances, but it really is not obvious to, to so many young people.
1: Yeah. I think that's really powerful. And I was just reflecting on some of what you were saying is so the, the world runs on finance, right? It's all about yeah. money, everything. That's why we have had wars and whether it be over, you know, fossil fuels or, or whatever it might be. It, it's it all comes down to a lot of it is is money. Yeah. And you can tie that to anything. You could yeah. tie it to literature. What's it cost to make a book? You know, How does it get published? How does it how do you make money from making a book? Yeah. So. I love your style. I love your methodology. And yes, be careful with uh, photocopying dollar bills. uh, There are special things in printers. Some of them um, distort them. They put little codes in the dollar bill when you photocopy them. But invaluable stuff. And I I do feel the same way. I bet you that principle did stay there because they didn't understand it because no one really took the time to teach people. And, yeah. um, you know, I know with my kids, I've been teaching them, you know, little by little over the years from when they were little to now one's out of college and one's finishing his senior year of college. So it, it, it's great stuff. It's great stuff. I know you had some examples too, some additional stuff, right?
2: Yeah. One, one of the things that I did early on, you know, early on in the eighth grade curriculum, eighth grade curriculum really takes place from like the Civil War era to, to modern day. And, you know, it seems to kids, oh, that's one hundred and seventy years ago. It's like that's only a handful of generations. It's really not that far. And, and, and that was really the time period in our history where we saw a lot of people, you know, for the first time thinking about investing money. You know that 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 was a foreign idea to ninety nine point nine percent of the people until not so long ago. So one of the tasks I'll do early on in the year is we talk about, like I, I created these, four make-believe companies and it's sort of like I'll, I'll you know they're buying the product in that time and i give them some basic parameters like you have five thousand dollars each you and each of your partners and you can borrow up to ten times that amount of money from a bank at a ten percent interest rate and then i give them these four options and one of the options is about you know delivery via horseback and other ones uh buying topographic maps for for geologic breakdowns a uh, third is buying uh, investing into an ironworks factory and then the third one's about uh, investing in uh, in an electric utilities company, and obviously the right choice is electricity, especially at that time in 1880. But you know, you let the kids kind of work it out. Like I'm not giving you anything. I give them uh, uh, approximate numbers of the logistical costs. I, I give them the salaries of the workers, um, the material they're going to need, and that's it. Like I, I kind of leave it vague on purpose. And usually what happens is if there's six groups of students, a couple of them will pick the electric options. They'll talk it out. But you hear the debate about, well, yeah, but, you know, things are being made out of iron and the trains and transport on the railroad and blah, blah, blah. And um, what's great is them having that conversation with each other. They realize, well, wait a minute, this is a good idea. Some of them will pick. The, the horse delivery service because it's cheap, or they'll pick the maps service because it's inexpensive. And it's like, yeah, that's true, but it's sort of, you know, he who dares wins sort of a thing is part of this. And at the same time, we introduce, you know, financiers like, you know, Andrew Carnegie or John Rockefeller, and it's sort of like, why are these guys rich? What do they bring to the table that is beyond just working with your hands, like physically creating something, you know? Oh, wow. And that assignment really is eye-opening to a lot of these kids.
1: You know what, and, Kurt? I, I want to give you a challenge on that. I just thought of something. Yeah, I think you take that challenge and you make it almost like a a LinkedIn um, post with, with a survey and see how many adults do. See how the Ooh. adults do. I, I maybe it's crazy. I know, but like I bet you a lot of adults would would struggle with this again because they're not thinking it through. So I really applaud what you're doing there, and it's it's really a it's wonderful.
2: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I um I just found that. This was a really good way to kind of dip our toe into investing and spending wisely and understanding that, you know, the other element of it, you're borrowing money from a bank. You're borrowing up to 10 times the amount of money you have. So you'd better choose wisely here. You'd better put some work into it. And then later on, you know, a couple of units later, when we get into the roaring 20s, people were buying stock on layaway just the same way they were buying a Model T. So I give them another assignment around this time. Where This time we pick legitimate companies. And for this year, I just cut it down to six companies. I picked American Airlines, Disney, Johnson & Johnson, Netflix, Sony, and Pfizer. And they would track this company over several months. And they note some very obvious changes. You know, like American Airlines stock dropped during that time. And then it's like, well, like we looked from January 2020 to April 2021. So we looked over an extended period of time. And then it's sort of like, well, why did American Airlines uh, stock value drop? Oh, well, COVID. Ah, okay, people are traveling less. And then Netflix went up almost $200 a share in that time. Well, why did Netflix go up? Ah, COVID. You know. So now you're making real-life connections to what's happening in their own lives, not just abstractly, but something that's literally affecting them. And they, again, they received a lot out of this. And then at the end, it's like, where would you consider investing? And even if this stock went down, is it worth sticking with? You know, like a company like Sony – They went up in value because PS5 came out, you know, and that's what and people were staying home and watching television more since they couldn't go outside. But something like Disney, you're not traveling, but yet the stock went up. Why? And now we break down. Why is that happening? And that that takes them away in their minds. They're like, oh, we're not talking about history. anymore. We're talking about Disney or we're talking about money. And it's like, good. I you know, because if history to you is just timelines and dates and, and presidents then some kids are going to get bored. It has to be more than that, and this lesson really drives that home.
1: Wow. Hey, I was wondering, mm-hmm. I wonder if the game Monopoly ties in at all. Do you do anything with that? I mean, we we always played it a lot with the kids when they were younger. So I learned about mortgaging and buying things like that. That was one of the things yeah. we did. Uh, and that was before iPads ruled the world now with <laughs> younger kids. but um,
2: You know, I got to tell you that I uh, that, uh, I didn't love Monopoly growing up because it was a terribly long game. And I think one of the challenges we <laughs> dealing with especially in this, you know, uh, screens world where they're on whether they're on their phone or an iPad or whatever it might be, is holding their attention. And I, I, we have talked about Monopoly and we definitely talked about the fundamentals of what is a Monopoly? You know, w- what is uh, virtual integration? What is her- horizontal you know, integration? What is, you know, going through those elements? But we didn't specifically use that game. OK, you know, but but like I literally would use Monopoly money, <laughs> you know, so yeah. but we didn't play the game. We do play other games and things like that. You know, I'll use like Oregon Trail when we're talking about, you know, Westward expansion and things. But, uh, yeah, not that specific game so much. Oh, no, that, that's cool.
1: I was just dawning on, you know, what we did with the yeah. kids when they were younger. And, you know, they learned when they got all four railroads, well, the rent went up double on them. Yeah. But you know, yeah. the Monopoly and little things like that and the mortgaging. So. I was just curious
2: that you mentioned it, it is funny, though, like I um, I started playing Oregon Trail again recently. I, I got a new MacBook Air and they have this updated 2020 version of Oregon Trail, the game we grew up playing on our old you know, PCs. Yeah. And uh, it in playing it again, it reminds you, you know, when you first buy these items that you need to start your journey, they cost one price. But as you get further along, the price of those items go up. And it is something that we would bring up when we played it in class. Like, wait a minute. You know, you have this amount of money in your budget. What, what's going on? What's changing? And the kids will be like, well, the prices cost more. It's like, well, why do you think they cost more? You know, and then we'll, and then we'll connect that to, to real life stuff. Oh, you want to go to a Yankee game? Why are you paying $7 for a soda? It's like, well, it's, you know, and then we bring up supply and demand. It's like, you're not allowed to bring in your own soda. Boy, do you want soda at a 90 degree game? They know they got you. They know you can't leave. So this is one of the things we talk about. Why are you paying $35 for parking? Well, you could take the train you know, and walk in, but a lot of people don't want to do that. So it's where the financial realities of a situation, you know, affect them directly is one of the things that we bring up, you know, not just in games, not just in lessons, but, you know, in their day to day life. And they'll make that correlation sometimes. Oh, all right. That's why I know when, you know, it, you know, this happens, you know, w- when I, I go to a basketball game and the nets are doing really well, the tickets go up in price because more people want those tickets. Like, yeah, you understand? So it's, you know it's something that makes sense to a lot of the kids and it's thinking about finances when that's the last thing on their mind
1: what's amazing is by tying it to finances they understand the build out of the railroad and and all those sort of things from history that were just timelines to most of us really right we we just had to sit there and memorize it all but you're, you're connecting the dots and resonating really really great stuff wow thank you thanks
0: yeah, I think, wow. I think one of the things, Kurt, that kind of jumps out into my mind is you've been teaching for all these years and, and all this great stuff, you know, the, the class engagement, follow, follow up with students, stuff like that. Um, are there like maybe – I'm going to put you on the spot – one to three kind of financial basics, lessons learned that you would convey to your students in terms of they came to you and said, you know, what do I need to know about money? Or, or you know, I know if I'm phrasing the question right, but like, are there kind of like three nuggets that you would provide your students when it comes to personal finance?
2: Well, m- make sure you're earning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. You know, yes, it, it yes. seems, again, it seems <laughs> remarkably obvious to us, but make sure you're, you're working a job that's paying you uh, a wage that is fitting. You understand? And then... That, that's a fundamental lesson. There are some kids that don't understand. They just kind of feel like, oh, I, you know, parents buy stuff. They're all of a sudden, I need a book bag. Boop, there's a book bag. Like, Wait a minute. You know, so the idea of earning money and then setting aside that money and thinking about how you use that money, again, seeming obvious to us, but not obvious to so many young people. And again, it's like I, I teach in the Bronx and I've taught some kids that are kind of in a lower socioeconomic status or, or situation. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, we, we own a nice house and, you know, my kids and we have, you know, two cars and all that stuff. And um, but even with my kids, it's like, wait a minute, you know, this, this is money isn't free, you know. And I think for all of our young people, they have to understand that you you earn a job that that pays you properly. And to earn that job that pays you properly, you have to continue your education. Once you have that job that pays you properly, and even in your youngest years, what are you doing with that money? You know, you're earning the minimum wage, you're working 20 hours a week as a 15 or 16 or 17 year old, what are you doing with that money? Are you spending it all? Are you setting aside some for a rainy day? Are you saving up to buy something you want? Are you giving some to your family? to help pay with the bills, you know, all of these things factor in. Um, another thing I would talk about is college. You know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, my dad, who I mentioned, he never went to college, but we grew up here in Harvard, Yale, Princeton, you know, because that's all he knew about college, these top-of-the-line schools. And now with younger people, you know, they they it seems almost a given that kids are expected to go to college, it's like, do well so that a school will offer you hopefully a grant or a scholarship of some sort take the money don't just chase the name i went to fordham in part because i grew up not terribly far from there and all i knew about college is oh that's down the street and i know it's a nice school and it's this oasis in the middle of a roughneck area i want to go there i couldn't afford to go there it was a mistake to go there to be honest you know and for a lot of our young people it's like all right do you want to go to college okay when do you start thinking about college what are you doing Towards college. Are your parents setting aside money? Oh, you had your confirmation. Congratulations. What are you going to you got some money for that? Are you going to set that money aside? Are your parents saying these are real life questions that kids have to think about? All right. So if you want to do something after high school, how are you going to get there now? And that's going to cost. So how do you handle the cost of that? You know, and then when you become an adult and you do have money and you do have a budget and you have to pay rent and you have to pay for, you know, uh, electricity and things like that, um, is that the time to buy? Those new Jordan 14s, I don't know, you know, maybe not. But may, thinking about those things. And then for me, again, it's I'm going to connect it to the things that I'm teaching. You know, people were going out, like I said, buying Model T's and washing machines from their homes in 1927 saying, it's never going to rain again. I'm going to throw away my umbrella. Who needs it? And then when the the market crashed in 1929, people weren't prepared. So we take those classroom lessons and apply them to the real life. Hey, great. You have a job. You want to buy a car do you need the spoilers for that car right now you know paul had mentioned that his son was still driving his his wife's uh, older subaru that's a smart decision you know i i'm not a big fan of subarus but it's a very safe car and it's smarter than going and buying some fancy brand new car that you're going to spend all of your money paying it off rather than keeping a little money for yourself for your future thoughts and those are some of the things that i think kids really need to learn you know earning money saving money thinking about how you want to use your money in the future and again Obviously, you and me, not always the younger people yep no so so Kurt,
1: I, I'm sorry, Paul I have one quick one for Kurt. So Kurt, with the expectations, so much that everyone must go to college, uh, personally, I don't think that's true. I, yeah. I, I think there's tremendous opportunity for folks to go into trades and do things, um especially when you look at there are less less people going into the trades Yeah. Do, do you, I mean, is there anything are you seeing that with your students? are they you know, do they, or is it just that you have to go to college now, or, or do you show them other options, or oh, do they I, even know?
2: Part of the reason we're, I'm doing this podcast is to have people that were in my my current students' shoes five and ten and fifteen plus years ago, and uh, let them understand now that no, you're you, you don't automatically have to go to college. That's the perception that they have to do that. Right. But what I, I try to bring up the idea that there's four options out there, that besides college, there's the idea of yes. Developing a trade, you know, getting an actual job—maybe not to a specific to a a trade or skill set—or the military. You know, there there are some there are multiple options out there, and you need to start thinking about that a lot more than your senior year of high school. You know, and that's an important part. You know, and and, and even with my own children, my son is getting—he's starting high school this this uh, next month—and it's like, yeah, a lot of your friends are thinking of college, and you're thinking of college, but that's not. That's not the only choice there There are a multitude of choices out there and kids need to hear about that a lot sooner and part of what I do in my podcast is My first guest didn't go to college and he developed uh, Initially he worked in a variety of different job fields and then he developed a trade working in filmmaking and production My neck my second interview was with a student who she's going for her associate's degree and she's going to community college But she joined the military, you know, so a lot of what I'm doing here and uh, it is really about presenting the younger listeners with options hearing that people were right in your shoes too and they chose to go this way and they're doing well or this student chose to go that way and they're doing well you know it's not yes you know four years high school four years college two years for for master's degree and then you know you get your little corporate cubicle there are a lot more out there than that
1: yeah i, I do worry that the military option sometimes while good for some I, I feel like some feel like that's their only way um, yeah. That's the only thing, especially when you look at the socioeconomic status of the military, it's generally lean towards those who are disadvantaged. And that's their only way out.
2: Yeah, no, only... and, and that, that's definitely true. But it doesn't eliminate it as a possible option. There are some people that go into it because they feel that they have no other option. And again, that's kind of what I'm talking about. You have options. It's not your only yeah. option. And the sooner mm-hmm. you start thinking about that, you know, the more you realize that I'm going to have to consider those options and move towards multiple options so that when I get to my junior and senior year of high school, it's not just preordained. Yes, I guess I'm joining the army because, well, you know, I didn't do well in school. Or yes, I'm going to college because that's what mom and dad want me to do. You know, and um, I don't even know what I'm going to study, but um, I guess I'm going to, you know, SUNY blank, you know, so.
0: Very cool. Very cool. No, this was all good dialogue. And this kind of we wanted to talk a little bit about this and we kind of jumped into it schooled by Mr. Bascom, right? So Kurt, this is your project. So I know you've been, we kind of jumped into your project, but do you want to talk a little bit formally on what your project's all about? I know we, we kind of pieced it together. Maybe we did talk about it uh, a bunch here, but do you want to kind of maybe um, give a little bit more description on what you're doing with this project, what you're hoping to get out of it and any other things you want to talk about related to it? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, um, a few years ago, I started, you know, tooling around on uh, with live streams on YouTube. You know, I had uh, torn my meniscus in my knee and I had to be home and I was already using a lot of different Google apps that other teachers really weren't using that much yet. Google Classroom, and Google Docs and Google Drive, so on. And um, I was like, there's got to be a way if that while I'm home rehabbing my leg, I can still see my kids rather than just, you know, getting the lesson from a substitute teacher who has my lesson plans. And, you know, so I figured out how to live stream and. I started doing it more often, not just for school stuff, but just to kind of give the kids reminders and just, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? What are you watching on Netflix this week? You know, what are you listening to? And um, from there, I started having some conversations. I would have students, not just that I'm teaching who just finished teaching, but students from five years ago or 10 years ago corresponding with me. Uh, The primary reason I stay on social media is to sort of hear back from those former students. And some of them over the years, you know, I've become friends with, you know, I play fantasy football with several of them or my former players. And now they're not just 17, you know, they're not just 14, 15 year olds, they're 20s, 30s. My, the, my first interview with Angel, he's 37 years old. You know, his house is bigger than mine, <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, so I got this idea of like, wait, these people that were in my life for 10 months at a time during a school year, um, they've moved on with their lives. I wonder how they're doing. I wonder if the lessons of their time in my classroom or their time in the education system, how it guided them, how it moved them to where they are now. So um, I created a basic Google form and sent it out to a lot of students on my uh, my Facebook page for uh, alumni of my class. And I got back dozens and dozens of responses almost immediately, and this was incredible. You're know, like, oh, this sounds like a really great idea. I wanna be a part of this and started telling these things. So I, I, I picked about six of them. And um, you know, just talking about them, where they are now and how they got there. And for some of them, you know, the, the, there's a great diversity in the people that I picked, you know, based on gender background, socioeconomic status, education. And, um, I think there's a lot of great life lessons there for younger listeners. And I think there's a lot of lessons there, even for older listeners, you know, to be like, yeah, I remember that. And uh, that makes sense to me. And even, you know, like we had mentioned in the beginning, uh, when I, I talked with envy that she had, uh, looked into this mrt this program about uh master resilience training that's something new to me i'd never heard of this so just because i'm the quote teacher doesn't mean that i can't be a student i can't learn from these young people just as hopefully other learn young people will learn from me and learn from the other uh people on the show and that's it's been going really well we've recorded six i put two out there and you know, it was just one of those things. To be honest, Paul, you were a good motivator in this. And when we spoke a few weeks back, and like you just got to do it, and I just did. I had all the stuff, and I was waiting for everything to be ideal. And you know, nothing's really ideal if you wait <laughs> too long. Life passes you by, and um, it's been going really well. And I've been hearing from a lot more people, you know, just in the last couple of weeks. Like, wait a minute, that was really good. I'd like to be on there. That was really good. I liked when so and so said, you know, and, and that's kind of that's my goal. That's my hope for this. Very cool.
0: Very cool. Yeah, and I think with that, we'll jump into the summary recap, and and and. Kurt, my summary is listen to Kurt. Um, I've listened to two of the podcasts so far, but you're killing me. You're doing it like Disney Plus style. I get an episode every week. Uh, I was looking to binge it, all six episodes, but I'll wait. I'll wait. I I get the notification. I listen through Spotify, um, and I've listened to both episodes, and they're great. Um, I learned once again I learned right I like I said the the MRT right and I love the Darth Vader story and I'm not going to talk anymore about it because I want people to listen to your podcast to hear it <laughs> so I'm not going to explain it right but it was a really good it's all about the Darth Vader mask right and just a great story that Envy uh, talked about so I'll leave it at that. Um, Paul I'll hand it to you and then we'll hand it to Kurt. Paul what was your takeaways from today?
1: Well one um, Kurt thanks for Making the connections to Paul, so I got to meet Paul and, and Ken and, <laughs> that's and true. everyone else. So. <laughs> oh my God, that's so true. <laughs> that, right? That, that's really kind of cool how these some of these things work. But, you know, I, I'm just enamored with your teaching style and I, I'm sort of jealous. I, I wish I had had something like that growing up because connecting with the kids is so hard, especially today. But taking something from the Civil War and how you can relate it today. To And using money as that tool and really finances around that, it engages them. And I guarantee you, those kids probably remember that stuff their whole life. It resonated with them in a way because that they can connect it to those Jordan 100s or whatever it is, right? (laughs) So thank you for that. And I I guess I have to sign up and listen to Kurt and um, maybe we can even collaborate some more together. This is really exciting stuff to me. So thank you.
2: Well, thank both of you. You know, it, it's really fun getting to talk to people about um, young people. You know, there's a lot more success stories coming out of New York and the Bronx than people realize. And that's kind of another goal of uh, of my podcast, Schooled by Mr. Bascom. You know, I, I created a Twitter account for it. It's Schooled Bascom. Um, you can find the podcast on it's on Anchor. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. Uh, I hope you listen and you spread the word. Leave me a positive review out there. That would be great. Um, I also have a YouTube channel that I, I use to for live streams, but also to k- kind of put up the video portions of things that we're working on, as well as video projects that I do for my students. And you can find me on, on YouTube at Social Studies Bascom. Um, I'd love to have you there. If you check us out once, you know, spread the word. That sound that would be great for for me. That would be great for for all of us. So hopefully you can keep doing that. Thank you.
0: Very cool, very cool. Thanks, Kurt. And well, Paul and Kurt, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today and I'm personally looking forward to our next one. Thanks everyone for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well and thank you.